And she said, oh, well, it's, no, it's no good speaking to us. You have to speak to, um, speak to the consultant. Uh, you need to talk to somebody in the NHS. So she spoke to the consultant. He said, oh, no, it's something to do with me. You want to talk to the social worker. Here at the BMJ, we've had a campaign on patient partnership, which we've recently rebranded Patient and Public Partnership. One of the reasons for this change is that it's apparent that medicine and healthcare has an effect beyond just the individual person who's being treated and cared for. And today's interview is a really good example of just that. My name is Anya Jung and I'm patient editor for the BMJ. And I've talked to Christine Morgan, who's the independent chair of the Greater Manchester Carers Strategic Group. With that, Christine has a mission to bring the needs of carers into the thinking and planning about health and social care services. And I wanted to talk to her about how the needs of patients and carers may be similar, but also different. Where we are in, in Greater Manchester, so um, for people who are unfamiliar with the region, Greater Manchester is made up of 10 different localities. Um, Manchester City is in the centre of that, but there's um, nine other localities as well. And it's the total population of um, around about 2.8 million. Um, but looking directly at, at carers, um, in Greater Manchester, we estimate that there are probably over 280,000 of unwaged carers in Greater Manchester. Um, and around 27,000 of those are young carers or young adult carers. And also um, another figure is that about 142,000 of those carers are balancing um, care with work. Um, and I think looking, looking ahead to out of Greater Manchester, um, but it's estimated, I think, I think it's in the UK, um, that one in seven people will experience being a carer at some, some point in their lives by 2025. Thank you. It's really helpful to hear those sort of statistics and it really highlights how important the role of carers is, both in terms of the day-to-day -day quality of life for the people that they care for, but also for our wider health and social care system as a whole. The statistics are really powerful um, and a great reason to get involved, but I'd also like to hear why you're so passionate and why you're particularly well-placed to do the role that you're doing in Greater Manchester, perhaps from your own personal perspective. Most, most of the drive to do this is, is from personal experience. Um, I first became a carer, although I wouldn't have labelled myself for that when I was 17, um, when my mum um, first had her first bout of, um, of cancer and I had a 10-year-old brother um, who my dad and myself were trying to keep the show on the road um, whilst we didn't know what the prognosis um, for my mother was. Um, so I remember that being an extremely stressful and, and worrying time um, and we certainly didn't have any other support than ourselves um, and immediate, you know, a few immediate friends. And, but our family were at a far distance away. So there's, I think there's that aspect. And also probably the biggest drive was my, when my mum had a second bout of cancer, which she eventually died from. Um, and um, reflecting on not just my sort of personal loss, but actually the services, there was a lot of services involved at that point. Um, this was in a different part of the country. This was um, in the Midlands. Um, and actually, it was very disconnected. I'm going back 20 years. It was very disconnected. Um, and all of those people were trying to do a really good job. Um, but the system at that time certainly wasn't um, enabling them. So that's a kind of personal driver. Um, I've had 
I've got my own long-term um, long-term conditions myself, but I've, I came into working with health and social care um, as a non-executive director in a primary care trust. And since then, um, I've worked with different organisations within the NHS on a part-time basis. So I've got a pretty good um, view across, but I've also done some patient and carer roles where I've contributed that experience at policy level um, and sort of what I would term the the kind of get real factor in, in policy and strategic conversations. So I've worked with the Coalition for Collaborative Care um, and, I've, and I was a member of the People and Communities Board as well. So hearing from a lot of our major charities uh, who support people and, and obviously the push in um, the programme in Greater Manchester um, is, is in partnership with a lot of our voluntary and community sector um, providers as well. I love the idea of a get real factor. I can imagine <laughs> well, so I many committees and groups that could probably really benefit from that. Yeah, I don't know about you, Anya, but um, when I first came into it using, using some of my own experience, either as um, um, a long-term condition patient myself or as a carer, reflecting on that experience, I wasn't quite sure if it was really going to make such a difference. Um, but actually having done it, um, you know, it's a really missing piece of a jigsaw if you don't have it. Um, so, you know, with the best will in the world and the best intentions of professionals, um, it's another perspective that is different. I know I have a different view where if I'm sitting in a clinic or waiting for an appointment or with somebody than when I'm sitting on a board or talking in a committee meeting. It's a different perspective. So thinking about some of those committee or board level um, discussions, um, we know as the BMJ and, and generally now, we talk a lot about involving people, whether they're patients or carers um, in health and social care. Um, and involving carers in this is particularly important. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit more about your experience of advocating for carers at this strategic level? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, in, and I think it's been a, it's, I think it's a challenge for most people. And certainly looking at the scale of Greater Manchester of the, of the ten boroughs, it's even a bigger logistical challenge just of the numbers so how do you do it you just have one or two people and then it's tokenistic and can anybody represent you get into the whole issue about representation but um, I think Greater Manchester has been fairly pragmatic with that they've tried to make sure that we've got as wide a view as possible and that's where our voluntary sector partners have really played a huge part um, Lynn Stafford who, who is the chief executive of the Gadam Centre um, she coordinated a whole group of voluntary sector organisations who, who work directly with carers. Um, and um, so they've, they, they drove a, a lot of the um, programme along and particularly um, having that carer voice to making sure that no piece of the work um, went ahead unless it had, you know, first-hand views with, with carers. And carers who are carers now, even though I have that experience, I was concerned because I'm not a carer now and I wasn't a carer in Greater Manchester. So I wanted that absolutely now, today. What does that feel like if you're caring for somebody in Bolton or Stockport or Bury or Manchester or any of the other boroughs? What does that actually feel like um, for you? So all of the work has been, um, that's been slightly, say, at arm's length to me in a, chairing the strategic group. But across all of our work streams and the strategic group, there are people on all of those who are actually active carers now. So it's been a pragmatic um, sort of view. We've also involved our young people. There's, a, um, there's a, a young carers group that's coordinated 
with um, young people from all across Greater Manchester. Um, and they very much drive their own agenda. They have it facilitated by a professional. Um, and working, working carers, because that's another group who you can't necessarily always drop in or see. Um, so that's, some of that's been done virtually by emailing out, doing surveys. So it's a mixed approach, but very much um, getting that first hand for the really important things, like the language for the charter. Our lovely communications group had, had thought of just editing a little bit just for um, to smarten it up a bit, but they said, no, that's not what we said. So it went back and it got changed to actually what carers had said. That's a really nice example. It's really helpful to just challenge that thinking. Carers aren't a homogenous group of people in the same way that patients aren't either. Absolutely not. So you've talked about working carers, younger carers, and um, people who are um, carers for older people as well. People often talk about the practical challenges of involving carers. Um, the fact that they're carers means they're already very busy. So asking them to come along to meetings, for example, can be quite difficult. We'll pick up on that in a minute, but I just want to ask you, have you got any other examples um, that you can share that just help illustrate what sort of added value carers have brought to the projects that you've been working on? Um, I think the biggest one that, and I'll probably come back to this at couple of times is actually the communications where um, services will think that um, people can actually get um, can get the advice that they need so so for example and again this was this was a one-to-one I've, I've done a kind of drop I've had a bit of a drop in, in into some areas or where I've been invited and I went to um, attend um, an evening group um, of carers who are um, supporting people who are living with dementia um, and just listening to them um, and they were they were saying there was a particular issue to do with um, whether or not the person they cared for would be eligible for what I knew was continuing health care um, and what was what was what I was re- interested listening to and also my heart was sinking at the same time um, was that um, this lovely lovely person who who was quite mature in age um, and was saying that um, her husband was in hospital um, and she was trying to find out um, he was due to go to um, a nursing home, but with obviously um, a lot of support because he was deteriorating rapidly. Um, and so she'd spoken to um, the social worker and said, you know, is it possible that the National Health Service will pay some of this? And she said, oh, well, it's, no, it's no good speaking to us. You have to speak to, um, speak to the consultant. Uh, you need to talk to somebody in the NHS. So she spoke to the consultant. He said, oh, no, it's something to do with me. You want to talk to the social worker. Um, so uh, I just thought, oh, no, that's just awful. Um, but I kind of had to catch myself and think, well, actually, what that's showing, probably both of those people are, are still trying to do a really good job, but they don't know. They don't know. Even if they don't know the detail, they don't know who to go to to get that detail. So I said I would chase down for her the specific person who she needed to speak to, and that was actually in the borough of Manchester. Um, and, um, but also I would take it back with her permission to the strategic group as an example um, that actually our staff, the professionals working in different services, um, they need support to know who to go to. That, you know, don't expect all of them to know everything. But, um, but they need support um, so that they know who to go to. Because for, for a carer, I mean, you know, she's got a husband who's deteriorating. He's terminal. 
Um, she doesn't need any more stress of being run around um, by professionals. It's just, it just shouldn't be that hard, should it? Um, so, um, so that's what I did. And interestingly, um, and I know my way around the system, and I have contacts um, in the NHS in Manchester, and I contacted um, somebody there, and they said, oh, well, you know, wouldn't she talk to a, a social worker or somebody at the hospital? And I said, well, we've already been there and tried that one. So actually, can you pin it down? I want a telephone number and I want a name, please. <laughs> so that when this, this lovely lady rings up, she knows who she wants to talk to and she's got the right number and she's not going to get run around. So we got a little bit nearer. I won't say we totally solved it, but we got a bit nearer. But again, it was a highlight. We kind of know it, but that's, that's something we discussed at our last, well, the last two meetings that we've had is this communications across, not just for telling carers stuff, um, but also telling our professionals um, and people who are supporting carers across across all the region. So how do we do that? Um, and we've got, you know, we've got ideas um, about how we do that so people don't get that run around because they haven't got time. It's too much. <laughs> So those examples really clearly show that being a patient or a carer creates enough difficulties itself without the system creating any additional pain, discomfort or concerns. Exactly. It's a really nice example of taking that very practical, real-life experience and then looking at how you can manage and influence that at a strategic level. But the role that you're doing and what you've been talking about um, is something across an enormous area and an enormous population in, in Greater Manchester. Yeah. So how do you do that? How does that work from a carer's perspective of wanting to get all the things in a carer's charter signed up in all the organisations at a strategic level, but making sure that this actually happens and things feel different for carers on the ground? Yeah, well, we've had... Um We've brought together um, what we're calling, as, calling an exemplar model um, so that we're actually, and whilst that's, you know, that might sound still strategic and all the rest of it, what we've, what we've done with that um, is pull together everything we've, we've done so far, but actually setting out some actual examples from each of the boroughs um, that show um, what's actually happening on the ground, where it's making a difference, um, who's doing what. It, some of it is really practical, um, and we've... And what we're trying to translate through is this kind of um, no-wrong-door approach um, and trying to get that across um, whoever people contact that they know who to go to um, and, and across boundaries. That, that, is, that is tricky um, because obviously the funding is, is slightly different. Um, but what we're doing, um, myself and um, Jason, who's the programme manager, um, we, we're actually embarking, or we're going to go around every locality, the 10 localities, and we've asked to, we're coming together with the people who have responsibilities um, for carers, for actually the, the doing, the actual doing of the stuff now. Show them what we've got to offer to support them, but also we want to hear about how they're handling it um, in their locality, and it will be different. So, I mean, one very simple thing is to actually get a list of the numbers and where they are, um, and, and make sure that we've got that cross-boundary because these conversations will be cross-boundaries. So we'll have people right across, might even have voluntary sector there as well. So we've got the key people together um, to, to ensure that that information does get, does get shared. You shared lots of really interesting projects um, that are going on and you've talked about making sure that you've had a carer's voice in each one of those. Um, so it'd be really interesting to hear what sort of challenges you've had in making sure that you've got those voices in all of those meetings um, and perhaps how you've overcome 
um, some of those challenges um, so that it's as easy as possible for carers to get involved with this because we know that for busy carers actually attending things like meetings can be really difficult. Yeah I wish we could say we'd, we'd overcome all of them we haven't <laughs> we're still um, we're still trying um, but um, where we I think what what realisation there has been, um, and even where we've got excellent carer centres um, in different areas, not everybody is a group person or wants to go to a centre or hasn't got, um, often particularly some of our older um, carers who um, also have health conditions themselves, um, it's not practical either. Um, but what we, what we have done is, is identify, with, what's starting to come through as well is there are some very specific groups um, and I hesitate whenever I say that because even within groups, people are individuals. Um, but um, particularly for, say, conditions like uh, motor neurone disease. Um, and yesterday I was attending um, a workshop event um, around um, dementia. And in Greater Manchester, there's a cross-cutting stream theme with Dementia United. And looking at the very specific challenges um, for that group of carers and the people they care for. Um, and some of the discussion there, um, and they're having their own kind of representation um, within there. So we've got kind of layers of things going on. Um, but looking at where um, there was particular challenges with, with some of the equalities groups um, and with some um, particular um, different ethnicities of how they handle some of those things. So whether it's um, LGBT um, or different ethnic groups. Um, who who aren't necessarily going to come and join in with a, a mass group or whatever. Um, and what is happening there, people are, you know, we're going out to them, um, and whether that's going out to people individually. And when I say we, I mean other staff as well. That doesn't quite fit within my three days a month. <laughs> um, but, um, but are going out to groups um, and or individuals, um, and uh, you've just got to, um, you've just got to know that. Um, the other thing is to link up some of the existing networks. I think we mustn't forget we've got a lot of existing things in practice. It's not always about reinventing something new, but making the most of really networking our networks. So the, um, our clinical networks have been really helpful. They've already um, got interwoven networks of their own, so they've been brilliant, um, particularly across end-of-life dementia, mental health. Um, so we've got all of that linked in um, across the partnership and across the boroughs. Um, I won't say we've got everybody linked in. Um, and I think that's the biggest challenge of all, because once you are involved in, in doing a piece of work, um, which is vast really on this scale, is that you think everybody knows about it and they don't. Um, even though all the strategic leaders have signed up to it, not everybody does know it. And actually not all carers still know it. So we're looking at um, a wider communications piece now because we're so the push now is on to um, our next big launch is the um, support for working carers um, where it's got some brilliant work going on which if there's time I can tell you about um, and um, so that's coming up on carers rights day on November the 30th where the big launch um, is going to be about that and then probably from January to March um, is to really push out um, communications, get this communicated. We'd have been around all the 10 localities and picked up any other um, concerns and or great examples as well to share. And then it's, yeah, then it's really moving through to letting stuff go, but having a group that just keeps an eye on how things are going. It's been great to hear your story of 
your experience of, of being a carer now being involved in these projects um, both locally and obviously now um, at a very strategic level so I'd be really interested to hear your advice um, that you'd like to share with somebody who had perhaps had an experience of being a carer themselves and who might be interested in potentially using that experience to improve things for other carers so what would your advice be to people who are wondering about dipping their toe into this whole area yeah um, I, I think uh I mean, a very, a very easy one if anybody's listening to this and obviously um, can contact me. Um, and um, my, if you're in Greater Manchester, I can plug you straight in. Um, if you're elsewhere in the country, um, I think I would, I would look for um, if you have a carer's centre or find out who your lead is, um, either in um, the local authority for carers, because there, be, there will be a designated lead, um, or go to your commissioner's. Um, your commissioners of health care or even your local hospital um, or your local GP surgery um, and, um, and find out um, what is going on in your areas regards carers and see, um, and see where best you, c- you can offer your, your help. Um, because I think even if, you're, even if you're not a carer now, um, and we've got quite a few past carers, um, there's so much experience there. Um, to to come through, and I think I think a lot of emotion. I think that's what sticks with you, because um, it you know I know for me it was a really emotional time, um, and that's just um, stuck with me. So I think yes, contact either you know if you want strategic level your local authority, look upon websites or go in to see somebody um, and tell them you want to you'd like to help. And I would hope um, somebody would bite your hand off. Um, and ask you to come and um, come and come and join them and have an initial conversation. Thanks. That's some really helpful advice about just those practical approaches to getting started. Um, but what's also really lovely to hear is there's actually quite a lot of benefits to individuals who do get involved. Um, you talk about how caring is actually quite an emotionally rich, um, both positive and negative emotions involved. I'm sure. And what it sounds like is actually being able to get involved in this way is almost a therapeutic way of using your experience that can really help people who who are now in similar experiences, provided obviously that those carers are given enough support. Uh, yeah, I think I think it can. And something that um, was in a conversation um, just yesterday afternoon, um, because they are going to set up a steering group for for this specific um, group. Um, but what, what did come through was um, was also the need to, when you do actually have somebody who's had even past experience or even current experience, um, which sometimes, and particularly if you're, if you're looking at some people going towards end of life or any area really, or, um, or particularly with, with dementia, um, is just remember actually the, what an emotional drain that can be. So I think any professionals working with them, just, just be aware of that and make sure that you almost do a kind of debrief with people to check they're okay um, before you go um, and, um, and just be aware that that support might be needed, as well as practical support, you know, stuff like travel expenses or you might actually need cost paying for to come out if you need somebody to be with the person you care for at home. So there's practical stuff, I think, for any professionals thinking of doing this, um, but also that, that emotional support, psychological support, um, be aware that this can be very draining for people when they do share experiences, even if they're just using it to illustrate a, um, illustrate a point, which sometimes can get missed, I think. You know, people are usually very grateful, but they might not realise what an effect that's had on somebody, and they might be walking back to carry on caring for the person, and, uh, you know, they might have just at a very simple level got quite upset about it. 
Um, so as well as some of the positive stuff they can offer. One of the things that comes out from what you've been saying is um, how important it is to support carers who are involved at this strategic level. I know from my experience and other people who do similar work that it's often very difficult to be going to a meeting one day or a national conference where you're talking about that vision and that rhetoric where things work really well um, and then often the result of having gone and done work like that um, might cause a relapse in your health for example and then you're back in primary care just trying to wait for an appointment and actually squaring that circle in terms of that gap between the rhetoric and the reality can often be really difficult and why it's so important to make sure that we can both influence the rhetoric to make sure it happens, um, but also support people who are facing actually some of the quite grim realities um, of health and social care today. Um, the support we're, um, that we're putting forward for, um, which is, comes under the Working Carers banner, but is actually the support for employers. Um, who have carers um, working for them. So it's a, it's a double a reciprocal benefit so that people who are, who are working carers can stay in work, um, but that they can be supported. And so the employers get the benefit of keeping good staff um, and not losing them because a lot of people do drop out of, of that. Um, and we've had a um, brilliant work stream going on that. And we've now got um, a working carers toolkit um, ready for support and we've um, agreed, um, we're working with um, Carers UK, um, who, who have got some fantastic resources for employers. And so they're creating, we're buying into it as an, um, I think it's called an umbrella, an umbrella membership, so that all of our organisations in Greater Manchester involved in health and social care um, and the voluntary sector can all have access to those resources um, so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, but we can put, um, we can steer it a little bit for the, with the policies for Greater Manchester. Um, and the brilliant thing, we just had it demonstrated um, at our last um, strategic meeting, um, was that whilst it's going to be a Greater Manchester piece, each locality, of course, has its own identity as well. And they can all have their own, um, their own page underneath that. Um, so if there's anything specific that they want to do slightly differently for whatever reason they can do, but equally, it can be shared across Greater Manchester. So I just think that's going to be such a fantastic resource. Um, and all of our, all of our public organisations have signed up to this. Um, we're developing a, um, a, a carer's working passport. So if anybody wants changes, organisations, they've got a carer's passport that tells what their caring needs are so managers, supervisors know what they are. Um, and we're working on trying to encourage different organisations to... Um, offer some very specific support because we found that a lot of working carers um, offer, that they were afraid of um, losing their jobs so they often used up their holiday entitlement for crises that had occurred with the person they cared for etc um, so um, I think this is going to be a brilliant absolutely brilliant support as well as raising that um, raising that care agenda that people will start to realize looking at their own workforces how many people have we got who are carers here um, and what does that mean for, you know, how they work and what any support that they might need. So you've been listening to Christine Morgan talk about the needs of carers and how our health and care system should be able to adapt to these by supporting carers to get involved at a strategic level. If you've enjoyed listening to Christine and are interested in more of our patient and public partnership interviews, then subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you take a look at bmj.com forward slash podcasts, you'll be able to hear from other patients and public partnership experts we've talked to, as well as all of our other BMJ podcasts.
That's it for this episode. I'm Anya DeYoung, patient editor for the BMJ. Thanks for listening.